Welcome to the podcast, powered by America's Credit Unions. I'm Associate Editor Brock Fritz, and in this episode, we recognize Black History Month with a look at a credit union incubator seeking to address economic disparities. I also caught up with a pair of credit union professionals, Michigan Credit Union League Director of State Advocacy, Deshaun Ashby, and First Harvest Credit Union Board Chair, Loretta Winters, who is also President of the Gloucester County NAACP. They each discuss their careers, Black History Month, credit union diversity, and where they would like to see improvement. But first, I'm joined by Filene Research Institute's Horacio Garcia-Korosek to explore Filene's Racial Economic Equity Incubator. The Senior Incubation Manager describes how the incubator brought in eight credit unions and 12 community service organizations to co-create solutions that meet local community members' needs and deliver resources, support, and capital to communities of color. He detailed the process, the need, the outcomes, and how one credit union seeking to make change can drive the movement forward. Let's welcome in Filene's Horacio Garcia-Korosek. So why don't you just get started with introducing yourself, how long you've been at Filene, what your role is, and then we can get into the incubator. Yeah, yeah. So my name is Horacio Garcia Karosic. I'm the senior incubation manager at Filene. I've been with Filene for 10 months, okay. uh, 10 months now. Yeah. Um, and I help oversee our social impact incubators. Right now we have our racial economic equity incubator and we are right now in the middle of recruitment for our second incubator around entrepreneurial ecosystems. So is this a new role? It's a new role that because right now, under our um, incubation pillar within Filene, we have the lab at Filene, yep. and that's um, overseen by my my teammate Megan and Maddie. And when we introduced our social impact incubators, which was a new strategy under Filene, as these incubators are help funded by grants, and that was um, where I was kind of brought in to to help steer. So you've been in the racial economic equity incubator for a while now. What is the incubator and what was the goal? Yeah, so the incubator was kind of brought together to to bring credit unions together to help address disparate economic outcomes for Black, Hispanic, American Indian, and Alaska Native households. And the barriers that we know they're facing when it comes to accessing credit, building assets, and just building generational wealth. And so credit unions kind of grounded in their communities, we thought this incubator would be an awesome opportunity to kind of test community co-creation strategies. So this idea is that if credit unions can partner with community organizations when it comes to uh, working together to build strategies on what products and services their communities actually need, then that whole process of co-creation and doing it together helps to build that trust that's often missed when financial institutions try to come into a community to help solve a problem. And so this incubator invited eight credit unions, each credit union brought along at least one community organization. And the first phase of this incubator, which was at the beginning of last year, was around those co-creation strategies. And how do we kind of uncover the needs that our 
present within these communities and how do we work together to build those different strategies to that really that were unique to each community being served by these credit unions and and their sure. partner organizations obviously you've been involved with this and it's something you're passionate about so why is it important for Filene and credit unions as a whole to do this type of work? Why is it something that credit unions kind of make their business around? There's there's so many angles you can take with this. And yeah. I think the probably the most important angle would be increasing awareness and, and action. I feel that this type of platform helps credit unions actively engage in addressing these kinds of disparities. And we're hoping that through this type of action, there will be increased activity and impact that credit unions have when really becoming advocates for racial economic equity. And one of the kind of lessons learned initially through this experience that was very important for our credit unions and for for Filene as well, is when you think of a topic as big as racial economic equity, it can get very overwhelming and it's easy to get discouraged along the way. It's easy to feel like you're not making the level of impact you thought you would after three, six, nine months. But that's the purpose of an initiative like this is really to to understand that while as a whole, it is a big initiative, I think individually, if we could all focus on our own corner of the universe, um, then together is how we make impact. Everyone individually doing what they can as best they can for the communities that they're serving. And then together is when you start to see the the tides shifting. And it's that was a really big lesson learned at the beginning of this. Because I think everybody jumping into this incubator was like, you know, we're going to make real change. And they are, right? That like Not to to take away from that, but it's really understanding that it's a long and it's going to, it's long and challenging road ahead. Sure. But there are many wins to celebrate along the way. And that message and you know that meaning is what we're really hoping to drive home with our credit unions and that there there's no specific um, curriculum to follow, per se, for something like this. But at the center of whatever route that we are looking to take or however we want it to kind of implement change, it all starts in co-creation. Sure. Not being the 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 organization that goes out there and assumes that they know about the community that they're trying to serve, but really bringing in the voices um, that shape the process and helping to to really help serve them. Yeah, that's great. I was going to say, yeah, it starts with the people with all this kind of stuff. So maybe yeah. you can change the life of one family and snowball from there. Exactly. And like the partnership aspect of it is so powerful too, because yeah. I, so prior to Filene, I was at a credit union for 15 years. Okay. So that was my big career and quite a shift for me to move away from credit unions, but also still serving credit unions. And it's important to understand that no matter how big a credit union gets, I think it's an, it's to think that we could be the end-all be-all solution for those that we're trying to serve or for those that we're trying to help. That, I mean, yeah, it'd be great. That'd be great. But that's just not the case all the time. Sure. And the, the truth is that there are those partnerships out there that have been embedded in these communities for years on end that have built these relationships, these par- these community partnerships with the people, and the partner with them makes the best makes the best sense, especially if you're yeah. trying to make the most change in 
what could be the, the quickest time possible too. Yeah, there's so many good partners out there. How do you, for something like this, how do you go about finding the credit unions and the the partners to, to get started in the incubator? Yeah, so this is our first iteration of the Racial Economic Equity Incubator, and I, it, it continues to evolve as we move into phase two, which that's what we're in now. And that phase goes through to the end of June. And what this phase is doing is working to test some of the strategies that our credit unions and their partnerships came up with during the first phase. And they're partnered with, we we brought in some coaches to work alongside our credit unions to help kind of bring their strategy to life. And so when it comes to the actual application process, what we were looking for was that established relationship between a credit union and a community organization. So we we invited any credit union that kind of had some history with a community organization, maybe sharing some of the examples of the work that they've done together as a prerequisite to being invited into an experience like this. And definitely having an open mind to what this experience might bring to their organization was it was important as well. So then first phase is kind of strategizing and brainstorming. Second phase is implementing a little bit. Uh, what's the wide lens of the whole incubator? So the, the, pro- the process with this second phase, as our coaches are working with their cohorts, we've lined up a kind of an award for the end of this phase that invites our cohorts to kind of compete for some funding for their individual projects. So based off of what they're working on with their coaches, they're being asked to later this year present to a a lineup of judges on what they came up with, what was the impact, but more importantly, what were a lot of lessons learned, understanding that it may not have gone off as well as they thought it would have when, when launching, but really understanding that. And the purpose of an incubator like this is to provide that safe space for those to fail. Because the idea there is there's a lot to be learned from failure, but kind of creating a support system that we have between Filene, our coaches, the different credit unions that are participating, that we have the support there to quickly pivot when needed and continue kind of working toward the the overall or overarching project that they've kind of set out to do. And I'm looking at some of these programs, like increasing access to capital for minority and woman-owned businesses, um, in particular Black entrepreneurs, better serving the local Latino community and Hispanic small businesses. I don't know, are there any particular things you just want to shout out or how do you explain kind of some of the things that the credit unions are working on? Allegiance Credit Union and their community organization, Scissortail. Their story I really, really love because they kind of embarked on this this co-creation well before jumping into the incubator. And the incubator helped to bring some additional perspective to what they were already kind of practicing. Okay. But what they kind of set out to do was to create a sub-brand of their Allegiance Credit Union to uh, a sub-brand to kind of engage with the Latino population. And their sub-brand called um, Alianza, they're actually building a physical footprint of this sub-brand that was created using volunteers 
that were available to the credit union whenever they had questions around, hey, we have this type of product. Does, does this product fit what it is that you're looking for? And, and the volunteers are like, absolutely not. This is not what we're looking for. We understand exactly what this is. What we need is this. So sure. when it came to building a brand, this process between Suzotail and Allegiance spanned spanning over a year has really helped to build that trust around this new brand that was created with the help of the people. And now that they are kind of setting out to build a physical footprint, they already have kind of a step up on building that kind of awareness for this brand within the, the communities. And from that experience, they're starting to kind of stem out into additional strategies, such as the promotion of supplier diversity and the idea that could the credit union partner with the small businesses, the small businesses embedded in their communities as these suppliers to what it, whatever it is that they might be looking for. Sure. They're also looking at small business support as part of this process as well. So really what I love about them is it all comes from that whole idea of co-creation. I think they're a great a great example of that. FAMU Federal Credit Union with the Capital City Chamber of Commerce, that's another great one. And there's actually a headline where the Capital City Chamber of Commerce in partnership have worked to secure a grant to help support small businesses. The August 8th, yeah, the $3 yep. million in federal funding. Yep, that's a, the uh, wow. Katrina in that photo there is a participant in our, our incubator. And this is something that they've been working really closely with the FAMU Credit Union on how they can work to maybe update their underwriting practices for small businesses, especially those uh, emerging small businesses, so that we can, we can get the lending for them and, and get their startups up and going. And she has, if, if you have time, we yeah. have a webinar on our website around our entrepreneurial ecosystems incubator. And the webinar was how entrepreneurship's role in achieving growth. And Katrina's a speaker on there. And she shares an awesome story on how they were able to secure some funding for, I want to say it was 14, maybe 13, 14-year-old who wanted to start an ice cream shop. And it was just a powerful story on, you know, it's one thing for credit unions to have a lineup of business products to support existing business owners, but where I think there's a lot of opportunity, and this kind of gets into our entrepreneur ecosystems incubator, but there's a lot of opportunity in supporting emerging businesses, especially as owning a business has been proven to be a main mode of upward mobility for Mm -hmm. BIPOC populations. And how can credit unions kind of tap into that market to better support not just existing, but emerging small businesses? Sure. That's cool for that 14-year-old, even getting that opportunity is going right. to change the way they think about things, I think. Yeah. Municipal Credit Union and the Bronx Community Foundation, you know, just kind of the overarching what they're up to and what they're looking I, to do? Yeah, I know that their their focus right now is community surveys. And really trying to dig deep into those communities to figure out what it is that they're looking to to, to pilot. So I think they're still kind of in the in the trenches of what okay. they're looking to do there. And you mentioned you've been there 10 months and there's other incubators on the horizon. I know you're still pretty early. What what do you think makes it good incubator? What what do you think makes the process run smoothly and kind of lead to change? I think it the mindset of those that are looking to participate and that understanding that comes with 
trying to make an impact and understanding that we might not always be successful. And with our incubators, we're bringing in so many different perspectives to an experience like this. There's always, you know, Filene's obviously participating in it because we're, we're helping to run said incubator, but we look for partnerships. We had two partners that we worked with during our racial economic equity incubator. And then with the entrepreneurial ecosystems, we're bringing on a partner. So that right there is bringing on those additional perspectives. But what really brings value are the perspectives of the credit unions participating. And these credit unions come from different asset sizes. They come from having failed experiences, having successes, and the sharing that happens between the credit unions, that in itself is the true value that comes with an incubator like this. And then not only are you kind of working towards an outcome through an incubator, you're helping the credit union industry as a whole because the outputs at the end of the day with what uh, Filene works to achieve are research outputs that others in the credit union industry can ingest and learn from and read and take away and help to make impact at their own organization. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like you said, there not everything's going to change the world, but there you can learn from all of them. And eventually you are going to find some of those that do make a huge difference. Exactly. Is there anything else you just want to mention, whether about incubator or just anything else you have going on there? Gosh, there's a lot. We have a, an innovation incubator that's happening between Filene and Visa. Okay. And it had started around the middle of the summer last year. And Visa had partnered with Filene because they want they had kind of set out to identify what it was in terms of product, service, or support that HBCUs were looking for. And they wanted to be involved in this incubator because we have what's called like the, the filing innovation method. And this method walks participants through kind of putting yourself in the shoes of others, inviting those additional voices to understand what they need, kind of the, the little bits and pieces that I explained through the co-creation. Yep. Well, as part of this partnership between Filene and Visa, we brought in those many different perspectives from HBCUs to identify what it was in terms of support that they were looking for. And where we were kind of trying to hone in on was keeping with with HBCUs, keeping the local economy of those HBCUs supported in some way. Because what we were finding is the let's say a local entrepreneur of an HBCU would start a business in said community, business would eventually become very big to the point where they would move it out of that community in, in, in terms of trying to scale it up. Okay. So how do you keep that business, how do you keep that money transfer that's happening within their own community to help support that local community? And they tend to call this scaling deep. So instead of scaling up, how do you scale deep within those communities that you're trying to serve? And so through this experience with Visa, the HBCUs, and Filene, they kind of came up with a a designation that credit unions supporting HBCUs or even just community financial institutions supporting HBCUs, uh, HBCUs can be a part of. And then it starts to create this network of community organizations, financial institutions that are looking to support HBCUs. So they can kind of stay at the center of what it is that they're trying to do to support these communities. And a product that came out of an experience like that was something similar to like Venmo Cash App. Because if you think about those types of services, even Starbucks, 
mm-hmm. the moment you load money onto those cards, you're pulling the money out of the community. Yep. How do you keep it in the community? So it starts with really kind of involving the community financial institutions, the credit unions that support HBCUs. And Visa has a product that is similar to Cash App, Venmo, that is low cost to credit unions. And if credit unions can adopt a platform like that, then maybe it can help to kind of keep the money within the community. And so that's just another kind of another separate incubator, but some additional work that we're doing in the field. Now let's hear from Loretta Winters, board chair of First Harvest Credit Union in New Jersey and president of the Gloucester County NAACP. She discusses her passion for creating spaces where people work together for a better community. My name is Loretta Winters, and I am the board chair for the First Harvest Credit Union located in uh, southern New Jersey, headquarters out of Deppert. Not quite, but pushing up to like a, a half a billion in, in total assets, and it's the finest financial institution this side of the Mississippi, I mm-hmm. have to say. Of course. How did you get involved there? Well, I, I have to tell you, whenever I, you hear the word credit union, you always think of a union sure. like CWA or the Teamsters and stuff. So through me working, I'm also the president of the Gloucester County NAACP. And at the time, I was the second vice president for the state of New Jersey and held a couple other hats within the NAACP. But with financial background and, and believing in generational wealth, getting people in the community to get more education as far as investments, banking with an institution that has you in mind and not necessarily the stockholders in mind. Sure. And and a lot of that was through education. So I had met Ben Griffin, who was the CEO, like three or four CEOs uh, prior to Mike, okay. our current CEO. And we worked together with the NAACP. And as we went on, just happened to be at Ben Griffin's retirement party. And I noticed that when they said with the board members stand, um, like we make fun of it. They were all male, pale, and, sk- and stale. Sure. <laughs> and I said, you need some diversity on that board. <laughs> and that's how I got involved. Has it gotten more diverse since then? Or? Absolutely. Yeah. Right now on the board, I think it's majority female okay. because before it was all male. Yep. And it's majority female, and we have a Latino um, on the board. And so it, it, it's one of the most diverse boards for a, uh, a nonprofit or financial institution that I've seen around in a while. Why is that important to have at the credit union and just sort of in any part of life? Why is diversity important? Well, you know, not only is it mandatory i think because if everyone is Mm like-minded you never think outside the box everybody's got blinders on and they're going through life and not even seeing how it affects other people uh races class or how you can make a difference in the community that you serve we are charted as like a minority credit union to help the minority community and that's how we charter and it, it just, it's a better look when yeah. you have people who look like the community looks like that are helping make decisions and looking out for their best interest. Sure. So it is it's important to, to have uh, diversity 
because no matter what uh, business you're in, whether it's a corporation, a financial, uh, a company, it, it should reflect what the community looks like. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I know there's a history of distrust with some demographics with banking in general. Yeah. So I assume that would help there. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Especially in the area what that we serve it, one of our biggest seg areas is Camden, New Jersey. Okay. And a lot of the residents of Camden have been sold a bad sale of goods and it hasn't really it's not a good taste and it's generational. And and talking about generational, the stories that are passed down through families and things that they talk about and the anger that they experience when they go to a bank and you got a job, you did this, your credit score is X amount and this is that and you still get turned down. It, it's very frustrating and they hear these stories when when they come back. And even as a child, a five, six-year-old can hear their parents with their frustration. They're planting seeds and they, when it, it's not good. Yeah. Uh, so they already come out in the community as they grow up saying, okay, well, I can't go there because I know what they've done. I yeah. know that, how they affected our family. And But with First Harvest, First Harvest is it's just an amazing place, organization, for lack of a better word, saying organization, yeah. but such a great place to, to be a part of. Yeah, you mentioned generational wealth, and we talk about financial well-being a lot. What does that mean in your mind? Like what? What makes what someone financially it, well, yeah. When, when you look at stats, especially when it comes to generational wealth, there was a time where the, the, the Black community served during World War II, during the Korean War, and when they came out with FHA housing, we were not allowed to be a part of that. Sure. So generational wealth was being built, Jim Crow laws, all of this, and, and we talk about it. It's something that didn't happen 100, 200, three years ago. We're talking about within our lifetime, within yeah. our parents' lifetime, that they can relate back to World War II, Korean War, and Jim Crow days. So in in order to build each generation, you keep coming out on square one. You got to start off all over again. Whereas if you had a house, you, you start off with equity. You, you have the foundation that's built. You're part of the community. You're paying your taxes. So, and each year you keep building on that. But if you have no building blocks each year, you keep starting from day one. So generational wealth, financial education is paramount uh, in order. Because when you look at your community, you're only as strong as your weakest link. Sure. And if your weakest link is really, really weak, then you're, I don't care how strong you are on top. It, you just, been brought down it's almost like a matrix yeah i it might be because i like hit a certain age and had a kid and stuff but i feel like the focus on financial education is that i'm seeing more more people aware of financial education and more people okay yeah absolutely and and i see a lot of people making better choices uh making you know better decisions when it comes to finance whether it's getting that life insurance policy. You you wouldn't be surprised how many times I've heard, I came into this world with nothing and I'm going to leave with nothing. I had to get it my own. They have to, and that's not building financial wealth for your family, uh, generational wealth as it goes forward. And you you have to change that narrative. You have to uh, change that culture. The NAACP, how long have you been involved there and kind of what drew you there and what do you, what do you do? Okay, as the president, I've been involved for the past 15 years, and I've been the president for the past 15 years. 
So it, it, it got me involved. Prior to that, I was a councilwoman for Monroe Township. And I found being as a council person, you're very limited to what you can do and whatever. The NAACP, I can be more of a game changer mm-hmm. in the community because I, I can get out there and I can do more. Sure. When you talk, people will stop and they listen. They want to understand. There's a lot of people out there that want to get involved and, 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 and be a game changer during their lifetime and, and do things that are, uh, on the cutting edge and that are different. Okay. Um, I like working with the NAACP because it, it brought me so many people to the table. I always say either you love them or you, or, or you fear it. Either way, it's going to, bring out some type of emotion. My job is basically to let them know that I'm not here to cause a problem because a lot of times people say NAACP, they're like, oh, something, discrimination. No, we're here to make make the community better and to show you how we can make it better. And we're here to have conversations. We're here to have meetings and we're here to, to... to make people understand on both sides, no matter what their view or their vision of a community is. And that's what it's all about. When you really sit down at the table, everybody wants a better community. They want better for their family. They want, they, they want all the bells and whistles that America has to offer. So when you get down to it and, and how do we, what do we do to help them get from point A to point B? Help them with scholarships. Help them with uh, for their, their their children going into college. Help them with conversations to understand the process better. Help them with building generational wealth through life insurance and through real estate. Or it, the NAACP is much more than just someone's filing a complaint. And that may be ten percent of what I do. The other ones are, it's actually building a better community. Right. We're. Are there any specific areas that you want to see the community improve? Law enforcement and education are, are my two big things in addition to the finance. Okay. And as the uh, president of the Gloucester County NAACP, that's exactly what I've done. I've built an equity com- uh, uh, committee with the superintendents of Gloucester County and uh, with the chiefs of police. Uh, we built a committee with them. We meet on a regular basis or you, we try to meet on a regular basis. Let's put okay. it that way. Yeah. And they all have my number speed dial me if anything comes up. Uh, and, and these are some of the things that I, I think makes the community better where we, we know we're all working together for mm-hmm. a better community and not causing divide within the community. That's what I liked about the working with first harvest. Yeah. They're doing the same thing, but on the financial side. It sounds like you've been involved in a lot of different things for a while. Why do you think you enjoy that? You help people all along through your life. And it's so great when someone comes up to you and says, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, you helped me with this and you helped me with that. And you helped me with uh, some issues or things that are going on. And you don't even know who they are. Yeah. And, but they remember you because you impacted their lives. I'm just doing, and when they come up, the satisfaction that, that someone has or was able to do that when you mentor someone and you're actually mentoring, maybe not one on one, sometimes you're mentoring a community and you don't even know it, the whole community at large. And it, it's just, 
it's a good feeling. It, it truly is a good feeling. I have to tell you one thing, too. When I was younger, I went to Catholic school, and I wanted to be a nun. My peers talked me out of it, and I always said, I'm here in life for a reason. I don't know what my reason is, but I'll just keep doing what I'm doing until I find out this is. So I'm still trying to find out what my purpose is right now. Why, why God put me here when I was first born, the doctors gave me at six months, I was supposed to die. And then at 18 months, I was given another year. Okay. And here I am as a grandmother and I still haven't died. So God saved me for a reason. And I'm trying, still trying to figure that out. I'll just keep doing what I'm doing until it comes around. So. Next week starts Black History Month. What does that mean in your eyes? Well, I always look at each month as as Black History Month. It's all Black history, and it's American history. Black history, to me, is just making everyone aware of the contributions that Black folks have uh, contributed to the world, not just to America, to the world, because there was a time that they people thought Black people didn't do anything, didn't invent. Uh, they could sing and dance, <laughs> but that's about it. And and when you look through it and you find out all the things and the accomplishments and all the things that they brought to the table, even now, not just in the past, but the present and how it's going to affect the future. Those are, are the things that the what Black history means to me. Black history is more than just Martin Luther King or Malcolm X. It's all the other smaller names and people that you haven't heard of that get overlooked. I was going to say it's the time of the year that we could concentrate on those accomplishments. Yeah, I was going to say, do you have anything different that you do this month or special through the NAACP or anything else you're involved in? During the month of, uh, of course, there's a lot of events and things that we go to, but we, again, we go back into the community, into the schools. We do a reading. Okay. Most of the people on our executive team goes, will go to different schools and make sure we do readings with the, with the, the, from, kindergarten right on up to seventh or eighth grade and we do again uh we'll we'll talk about the accomplishments mm-hmm. relationships inventions all the things that have done that's even outside of the, the common names which there's more than just one or two people yeah. in the black community that have uh, contributed i'm just kind of curious do any of those people particularly jump out to you is there anyone that's like kind of your hero in the past, or I guess in the present, you know, too. You know who I really, uh, I, I like, uh, there's so many people I, I can, can just tell you right off the top, females, males, but the one person always comes around is the story of Malcolm X, sure. who was his, what his intentions, once he went to the motherland, he came back and his whole persona changed as what race relationships look like. So he's someone that, that I've always ad- admired. Frederick Douglass is another one. He was an enslaved man who became an act, uh, self-taught and don't necessarily agree on all of his views, but majority of his views and his writings during the, the time that he rose to that prominence in life was a, during very difficult times. Yeah. I don't know if some of the activists we have today would have been able to endure and, and take the hard road that he had to take just to educate himself and, and get to that level. So people during those eras, whether it's Sojourner Truth or all of them, I mean, those were very, very 
very difficult times to be black in America. And but they rose to the top. Was there anything else you want to add or and just talking about black history? During Black History Month, there were a lot of things in black history, like your John Brown and your Cassius Clay's abolitionists who died. So these are things too that should be brought out in black history. It's not just that, but there was a, a lot of people who were not black Europeans that came in and, and saw that things were wrong and, and they actually died for the cause. Finally, Michigan Credit Union League Director of State Advocacy, Deshaun Ashby, shares how he uses his voice to uplift and advocate. I'm Deshaun Ashby. I've been, well, I'm the Director of State Advocacy here at the Michigan Credit Union League. I've been here for six months. Previously, I was a lobbyist at a multi-client firm in town. I've worked in state politics before as well. And I did some time in the military too. So I've been like a little bit all over the place. What uh, drew you to this role, do you think? Yeah. So back when I used to work for the state as a policy advisor, I was working on the financial services and insurance committee. So that's how I ended up interacting with the credit unions and the banks and the other financial institutions around town. When I went over to be a lobbyist at the multi-client firm, I mean, I did learn a lot, but I wasn't really liking the type of work I was doing. It felt, it felt too impersonal, you know, like you you have a client, you do the thing, and then you either drop the client or you get a new client or whatever the case may be. And I always just kind of felt like my work for me personally should be a little bit more fulfilling. So when this opportunity opened up, uh, I already had the familiarity with uh, credit unions and um, I already had like a very good relationship and I love the type of work that credit unions do, whether it's in the community. Uh, The main thing is trying to help underserved communities, black and brown people. And I've always wanted to be in a position where I could use my voice and experience for good. So they thankfully hired me and here I am. So what's going on right now? What do you, is there anything specific that you're focused on or anything you're excited about this year? Excited? I don't know if that's the word. (laughs) Uh, The elections, the elections are going to be a mess. There's so many unknown variables. So I'm pretty stressed about that. It's a good kind of stress. Last year at the state level, we were able to kind of delay some some potential legislation that re- that would be harmful to our members related to garnishment and bankruptcy. And there are things that we need to update. And sure. we've been working with the bill sponsors the last couple months to to get the bills to a better place. So I'm looking forward to those conversations continuing to happen, and hopefully we can provide some relief for people. But yeah, this is going to be an extremely exciting and stressful year. <laughs> yeah. How are you expected to go in this role? Has anyone said what an election year is like? Or Yeah, kind of. I mean, I think it's going to be a lot of PAC support, strategizing, figuring out who are the members that are that have been good to us, who are the members that, in a bipartisan sense, who are the members that are going to be thought leaders or leaders in their own respective parties and chambers. So a lot of strategic work there, but also still making sure that we're preparing for the end of the year. Lame duck, you know, if the if the Democrats in the state of Michigan, if they lose, if they lose the House, then 
there's going to be a whole wave of legislation that's going to go through and we're going to have to be prepared to hold all of it off. So spending the year anticipating those things, gathering information and making sure that we're ahead of whatever happens. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I don't know too much about that role, I guess. So it's just interesting to think about all that goes into it. I've spent like my whole my whole young career, like being actively involved in politics and policies. So I think this is the perfect role for me there. Like the election year itself, like the amount of work, it doesn't scare me because I've done it multiple times in multiple capacities. It's just, it's going to be a wild year, man. (laughs) So you mentioned you like the opportunity and that credit union serves the underserved. Why is that something that matters to you? Sure. So I'm from Detroit. I grew up poor. And I'm uh, one of the, like, I'm in a unique position of having, in Detroit especially, having lived through the 2008 recession, having lived to live through the 2011 bankruptcy and the fallout from COVID and that we're just recovering from. So my whole life, I've seen people that look like me struggle and suffer. But also when I think about 2008 in particular, right, the crash was is largely through subprime lending. Financial institutions that are giving way more money than necessary to people that are unqualified or underqualified to to get the loans and trying to make some money off of a good market and then it collapses and then what happens? The banks get bailed out. Great. People, regular people, lost their houses. They lost their fortunes. They lost everything. And then, not to the same degree, but you see that happen kind of again in 2020. Institutions... They get bailouts, they get tax breaks. Rest of us, they lose your job. <laughs> you you have to you have to sell your home or take out another mortgage on your place. So to for me, there is, especially as a black man, there's a historic amount of distrust. Not a historic amount. There is a history of distrust mm-hmm. in the black community with both A, the government and financial institutions as well. And I do see with credit unions, you trying to like, that's the mission, right? That's the credit union difference is to try to mitigate those issues and not only minimize that type of inequality, but put people in better positions. And I, I'm an idealist. I feel like you can change things from the inside and not that things have been going bad. But I, when I got the amount of experience and I realized that this is something that I wanted to do, I was like, all right, if I get this, I know that the league is a place that I can use my voice to actively advocate for obviously protecting our financial institutions, but also keeping our main mission and our main goal in mind of helping uplift people. We're going to run this during Black History Month. What does that mean to you? Black History Month for me means that everyone pretends that we do not have a problem with racism. <laughs> yeah, that makes Ever. sense. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's that's my very blunt answer. That's not to say yeah. that I don't love Black History Month because I do, but it's a it's a very bittersweet time for me, honestly. I guess a lot of just seeing things for that month and maybe not seeing it the other eleven months or what what's frustrating. Yeah. yeah, I mean it's it's a lot of things like that. Uh it's it's disingenuous to me. I mean, especially when you look at like our political landscape, you will have people that are going to put out their favorite Martin Luther King quote next, well, next week, they're going to put out their favorite MLK quotes, and they're going to talk about all these historical things. And yet 
they are still going to advocate for policies and or legislation that is going to hurt black and brown people. Yeah. And we have to go through the same dance every single year. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What are some things that you would like to see improved in the industry? I do think that this is from what I've seen, at least, and I could be wrong. But it's, an, it's an overwhelmingly white industry. And I don't think that that is necessarily on behalf of financial institutions. I don't think that's your fault per se. I think it just kind of goes back to the historic, the history of distrust, right? But one thing that I've really appreciated here at the Michigan Credit Union League, and I'm the only black person on my specific team, not in the league in general, but just on my team, is that I felt empowered. So sometimes when you have these, sometimes when you have like efforts to to diversify, you have one of two things, right? You'll have like, like people that'll get their, their diversity, but then that's it. You're like there for the diversity. And I felt that way in every previous role that I've had. But in this role here, I feel like me being a black man is a part of who I am definitely, but they don't make it the only thing that I am. As I mentioned before, I'm, I mean, I'm from Detroit, black man, military. I have a master's degree. Like I've done a lot of things and I feel like instead of my job being, hey, he's the the black director of state advocacy. I'm just the director of state advocacy. So it's it's really it's beautiful. And I would like to see more black folks in in our space. I mean, that's the number one thing. Another thing is I think we do need to have more conversations like these and more difficult conversations that I don't know how or where uh is the platform to do this like i really appreciate this opportunity yeah. and what you're doing and going around and having people tell their stories like this is this is huge and this is wonderful i guess you mentioned the distrust of financial institutions do you think that's improved throughout your life or i i don't know i don't know about that i don't have an answer but i do think that at least from what i've seen and i don't know so i could be wrong but i sure. i think that we're gonna have to as a like industry wide increase increase our efforts there because one of the things that i've noticed especially as a younger millennial is i mean like again minimum minimum wage has stayed the same and it's went up in 22 states that's awesome but federal minimum wage has stayed the same cost of living has gone up and when you live through a recession a bankruptcy and a global threatening virus yeah. There's like a lot of uncertainty and things going on right now. People are looking for things to change and things to be different. And what I'm starting to see, especially with social media, TikTok is people are poor. People don't have any money. So now they're going to be turning and they don't have trust in financial institutions. So now they're uh, turning to more dubious means in order to try to make a living. Right. TikTokers giving financial advice. <laughs> the, yeah, like it's it's a mess. And I think that uh and I don't have the answer, but I think that if we don't ramp up those efforts, we're gonna lose more people to some of these random influencers who certain financial advice worked for them and they still happen to have a million TikTok followers and now yeah. you're gonna do it. Like the yeah. amount of people that told people to invest in crypto at the end of 2020, 2021, and then what happened? <laughs> don't care about it yeah. much anymore, yeah. Not at all. NFTs, yeah, uh, yeah, like, like I think we're we're up against be, because of that his history of distrust. Like people are just trusting random people on the yeah. internet.